minute past the hour of six o'clock good evening good evening good evening it's the mark riley show my name is mark riley that's redundant isn't it martin's at the controls and i'm feeling good i'm flying low i'm feeling no pain because we're here with you until seven o'clock uh i'm energized tonight because next tuesday is the primary here in new york and we're going to talk about that with a very special guest later on during our broadcast. And uh, I guess I, I should start with this only because I'm not really prepared to get into it in depth. See, Martin's a young guy, so he probably won't know exactly where I'm coming from on this. But there are a bunch, and I mean a bunch, of words and phrases that have come into common use in the 21st century that I would like to see die, die, die an ignominious death. Now, maybe it's only me, but there are certain words that, that like, you know, people use, and I'm not going to start running them now because I want to get all of them together in one place and do a segment about them because they make me want to hurl. They have taken certain terms and have just twisted their meanings into something real stupid. But we won't get into that. Now, speaking of something real stupid, it took me probably 25 minutes longer to get up here from downtown than it would normally. Is, 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 that, is that too much fetching <laughs> to start a show? I mean, uh, I get to 42nd Street, right? And they said, due to a sick passenger at 110th Street, this train is going out of service. Oh, okay. So you couldn't tell me that while there were like two local trains that came in and out of the station. All they said when my train pulled into 42nd Street was, we're being held by supervision. The world famous, we're being held by supervision. Thank you for your patience. Yeah, well, suppose you weren't patient. Suppose you didn't, you didn't feel like being patient. So then a train pulls in, right? A local train pulls in, which I probably should have gotten on anyway. I just love the rush of riding an express up to 72nd Street. It's one of those things with me, okay? I jump onto a local train, local car, with no air conditioning. And it's packed, all right? Now, it's not as hot outside as it was yesterday, but some of that heat is still in the train. Matter of fact, I saw a story earlier today that said that certain train stations get unbearably hot and we get into that in the weeks to come 
So I get up to 50th Street, and being the creaky old man I am, I say to myself, I got to get off of this car. <laughs> I get out of the car. I look down the rest of the train. They're all packed with people like sardines. I don't like to, like, push people to get on a, uh, on a train. It's just, like, bad form. And I don't want anybody to accuse me of groping them. So I waited for the next train, right? I get on that train. Everything's cool, right? All of a sudden, toward the front of the car I'm in, this guy, who apparently had had enough of somebody pushing him, turns around and says, can I use the B word here? Absolutely. Okay. Turns around and says, bitch! <laughs> Loud enough for the whole car to hear. Get off of me! <laughs> and looks like he's getting ready to push the woman off the train. You know, and I'm looking at this, and there's a guy standing next to me. He's looking at me like, what have we gotten ourselves? Is this the all-star subway train from hell or what? And he cursed this woman out until she got off the train. I think she got off. She got on at 50th Street. She got off at 72nd. And all the while, this one, bitch, <laughs> the whole way. And I don't like to use that term. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I. I came up in radio during time. You just didn't use it, all right? But since it's the Progressive Radio Network, what the heck? Anyway, that is my subway tale of woe. Now, for those of you who have not been with us in weeks past, we run a bunch of stories that I think are important. You may not think they're important, but I think they're important. And, you know, you can call and comment. And if there's something you think is important, our number is 888 888- Eight seven four four eight eight eight, triple eight eight seven four four eight eight eight. You of course are listening to the Progressive Radio Network, which you can listen to in so many different ways. It's scary. PRN.FM. Click on Listen Live. You can go to the TuneIn website. You can go to I. I mean, you can you can check us out any which way. You can listen on your mobile device from PRN.FM TuneIn app or Stitcher app. In point of fact. So there's a lot of different ways to check us out. And I go over these stories, and the one lead story features a very special guest. So with the primaries coming up, who better to talk about them than my good friend, the publisher of the New York Amsterdam News, Ms. Eleanor Tatum. She'll be joining us in about 10 minutes or so. Now, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I am a union guy. I have been in a union one way or the other since I started working in New York City. I had, you know, a couple jobs up in Connecticut where I was raised. I I wasn't part of a union there. But from the time I got to New York City and started work, started working in the post office, as a matter of fact, joined the APWU. That's the American Postal Workers Union. Belonged to after, belonged to a bunch of different unions. So I am a union guy. My father worked in the post office. He was a union guy. My mother was an organizer for certain left-wing organizations. <laughs> she was a union person without actually being a union person. God rest both their souls. Well, you know, unionism in America seems to have fallen into some form of disrepute. Unions. Oh, they're all fat cats. Their leadership rip off the members. You shouldn't have to be a member of a union Even if you benefit from the work that the union does, you shouldn't have to be a member of a union to work a particular job. All of this foolishness, and I do mean foolishness. And here in New York, which 
is generally perceived to be a union town because there are more people who are members of unions here than in most other places in the country. You know, go to go to Kentucky and start talking about, you know, joining a union. They'll tell you to go to Ohio. <laughs> you got no unions. Uh, they do, but I'm being facetious. Well, as it turns out, there's a study from the CUNY Graduate Center, two professors from the CUNY Graduate Center, and it suggests that unions are fighting that trend of shrinkage that we see across the country. And in fact, most people thought was going on in New York. The person, the people that actually did the study, Ruth Milkman and Stephanie Luce, both said, we were surprised. Now, the bounce back has been modest. And the bounce back, ironically enough, has gone from one in five working age New York City residents who are members of unions to one in four. Small increase in the numbers. Many people might think, according to this study anyway, that the increase in union membership came from, you know, fast food workers and other folks who have been trying to organize and join unions, in many cases unsuccessfully, because their employers try and squash them like grapes. But as it turns out, uh, and of course, I'm talking about this in part because, you know, Monday was Labor Day, party people. Uh, it seems to be attributed to a surge in hiring in the construction and hotel industries, not the campaigns by fast food workers and others who earn low wages, which means, of course, that if that trend continues in the hotel industry and in construction and low-wage workers end up joining unions, we could see a continued uptick. However, Professor Ruth Milkman says we don't see any evidence of that, the fast food thing. She says while that's a very visible campaign, they have yet to organize. Now, what's interesting about construction and interesting about the hotel trades is that over the years, and I have friends that belong to uh, uh, certain unions in this town, Local 3 and other places. They've been fighting like cats and dogs against non-union labor. As a matter of fact, down by my job, uh, there's one of those gigantic... You ever see those big rats, Martin, that they put in the street because somebody's using non-union labor? Uh, there's one of them down by my job. I don't know who they're protesting against. I, they, I took one of their flyers, but it's just like they're not protesting against the whole building. They're protesting against somebody that is a tenant in the building who uses non-union labor. But as be that as it may, uh, this uptick in union membership comes even as non-union members in the construction industry and in the hotel trades also continues to go up. Uh, numbers of these, uh, and, and, and this has always bothered me, numbers of uh, uh, developers will use non-union labor at the drop of a hat if they think they can get away with it. Or they'll use 
less expensive union labor and thereby pit union against union. Now, the unions, certainly the craft unions, do have a bit to answer for in that for many, 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 many years, they kept people of color out of their unions. Out, out, out. And you can't ignore that. But that has gotten better over the years. I got a friend who's in one union. He's been there 25 years now, maybe longer than that. So things have, in fact, changed. Ed Ott, who I actually know, who's the former director of the New York City Central Labor Council, the CLC, which is the umbrella organization of unions, got over a million members. He said, this isn't really a trend yet, but the unions are working hard to win back some of the non-union jobs that they have, through one, re, through one means or another, uh, been suffering from having to deal with. 24% of city residents, 25% of state residents are union members, more than double the 11% rate for the country of a whole. So that study is called the State of the Unions 2014. I think it may have come out today, if not today, tomorrow. Interesting story, and we're going to be talking to Eleanor Tatum very shortly. Interesting story uh, in the New York Times about a bagel cafe up in Co-op City in the Bronx. Now, I don't know about y'all, but in the main, chain restaurants are not my favorite thing. Okay, I don't have to name them. You know who they are. And... They're all over the place. They are in places that they would not dared have settled in 20 years ago. Uh, they just wouldn't have done it. But they're doing it now. Why are they doing it now? Because there's gold in them, our ghettos. That's why. There's money. Just like, you know, Burger King buys Canadian company, moves to Canada. Nine and a half billion dollars. Why? Because somebody's spending $9.5 billion on coffee, donuts, and burgers. <laughs> That's why. There's a guy named Charles Maselli, who's been up in Co-op City for more than 25 years at a place called the Bagel Cafe. And anybody who's been in this town for any length of time knows, if you don't know this particular Bagel Cafe up by Co-op City, you know a place just like this Bagel Cafe. Kind of a little rundown, long in tooth, but a place where neighborhood people come and hang out. And in this case, Charles Maselli is finding that they're not renewing his lease because they say, and this is, this is one of these things uh, that just, like, drives me crazy. Uh, when Charles Maselli failed to re quote, reach, quote, the highest standards consistent with a first-class shopping experience. Yo, you're in the Bronx, man. I'm not trying to dog the Bronx. I'm not trying to dog Co-op City. But, you know, when you start talking that you're not consistent with a first-class shop, get away from it because they're building a mall up there. That's why they're doing this. So they're trying to push the guy out. And there have been so many guys like Charles Maselli that have gotten pushed out of so many places in this town. And what takes their place? Banks, <laughs> Starbucks, or some other chain? Psh. 
Anyhow, it's 16 minutes past the hour of 6 o'clock. I just had to get that off my chest. Right now, we're going to talk primaries, which are taking place next Tuesday. I don't know how many of y'all are actually going to turn out and vote, but it's turned out to be a much more interesting primary season than I think a lot of people first thought. Because everybody thought Andrew Cuomo, our governor, was just going to boogaloo to victory in the primary. And he probably will anyway. But he's gotten a little flack along the way, including a non-endorsement by the August New York Times. Joining us to discuss this and much, much more, the distinguished publisher of the New York Amsterdam News on newsstands tomorrow, Ms. Eleanor Tatum. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, as always. Well, it's great to be with you. Tell me a little bit about what your readers are saying about this upcoming primary. You know, Mark Green, former public advocate and mayoral candidate, uh, actually endorsed Zephyr Teachout and uh, Timothy Wu, I think is his name. Uh, what are your readers saying about this, this primary that's coming up? You know, a lot of, not a lot of people are actually talking about it on the ground. And they're actually more interested in more the local elections in terms of assembly and Senate. And, uh, you know, making sure that we're able to stop some of the Albany gridlock and replacing people that just don't deserve to be there. And also um, filling all of those empty seats that have sat vacant due to um, some of our politicians uh, going to jail. <laughs> I was going to say malfeasance, but that's generous, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, they've so, been so, vacant I mean, now really, for a year. It's really the smaller elections that are really getting a lot of the, the personal attention of our, of our community. Tell us a, a little bit about what the what is the community looking for, Eleanor? I mean, and has that changed as the community's changed? Well, I think, you know, the same issues that have plagued our communities still plague our, our communities, you know. Education, health care, jobs, housing. Those are the core issues, and they have been forever. Now they also want somebody that's honest. <laughs> <laughs> Not that they always didn't want somebody who was honest, but now they really want some fresh faces out there. They, want, they don't want business as usual. People want to see somebody that's going to be bringing some change with them and who is going to be able to deliver for their community and is more interested in the community than themselves. Now, are there some hot races uh, across the city where change is possible? I mean, uh, you know, in some cases, incumbent assembly people and state senators, it ends up being a, a, a kind of pro forma sort of thing. You know, they run. Well, I, mean, I, I, I think there are going to be a bunch of interesting races. I mean, I think the Leeward Comrie race out in Queens is going to be very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. um, I think the John Liu race. John Liu and is, Tony Avella. Yeah, that's going to be very, very interesting. I mean, so much money has been raised in that race. It's incredible. Um, but you know what? John's going to give him a run for his money, whatever happens. Um, then let's see. We've got, as I said, Comrie in the um, in Queens yeah. in Queens as well. Uh, and then in the Bronx, we've got um, the 79th with Michael Blake running. And we have um, the um, the candidate of the county of the county committee of the machine up there is a woman named Marsha Michaels. But Michael Blake has out-fundraised her, you know, by over $100,000, which is money that has never been seen in this race. He's a former um, Obama oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. White House staffer. and uh, Is that they, Eric Stevenson's know, old district? 
Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And he is uh, really making a name for himself and is really getting out there into the community and has gotten some fantastic endorsements, um, including 1199. Uh, so, you know, we're, 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 we're seeing some really big moves and new faces coming out there. And then some old ones as well, like Oliver Capel coming out of retirement. Oh, yeah, I was going to um, ask you about that one. That's an interesting yeah. race up there. That's Capel against Klein. Exactly. You know, we've really got some folks that have been really loyal to party over the years who are coming back out to take on those who they feel have not been loyal. And though these people are maybe older, they know their way around and they're ready to go in there fighting. So it doesn't matter if they're brand new to, um, politics in terms of never running before mm-hmm. or if they've been around the block and left politics and are coming back they're coming back so strong and really ready to take charge and you know i gotta tell you this year when we did our endorsement interview was the first year that i can say that almost every single candidate that we met was somebody that i could possibly vote for for something really I mean, it, you know, not necessarily what they're running for, but no, but the fact was they were all smart, they were all energetic, they were all go-getters, and they all had something to say and understood what the job entailed. In the past, I had had people come before me who had no idea what the jobs were, who had no idea what it meant to be an assemblyman, what it meant to be a state senator, what it meant to be a committed woman or a district leader. Hmm. And everyone that we saw had a real grasp of what it meant and had a real yearning to make a difference in their communities, and they all wanted to do it for the right reasons. Our guest is Eleanor Tatum, publisher of the New York Amsterdam News. The Amsterdam News hits newsstands tomorrow. Now, when does it, when does uh, the online edition go up? Um, all through the week. We'll have some All stuff through the week. Up tonight, okay. Some stuff up tomorrow, and as breaking news happens as well. Okay. Let me ask you about one race that that has had a couple of twists, and that's the race uh, where incumbent state senator Gustavo Rivera is being challenged by city council member Fernando Cabrera, and uh, Congressman Charles Rangel, to the surprise of many and to the chagrin of the LGBT community, endorsed Cabrera, who is, I believe, a, a clergy person and is not particularly friendly to issues in the LGBT community. Did Congressman Rangel's endorsement surprise you? Um, uh, it does surprise me, but at the end of the day, we're just going to have to see what the voters say. Um, you know, it's, it's really going to be one of those, what the voters say. But, you know, the other race that is also very interesting is going to be the Espyot race, talking about Rangel. Oh, yeah, Espyot versus uh, Jackson. Yes, Robert Jackson is taking on Espyot. And uh, we're going to see what happens there, because um, it could be very telling. Now, there were two people in the state Senate who were running for re-election, both of whom have rather large clouds over their heads. And by the way, uh, they're not the only ones. Michael Grimm, the congressman from Staten Island, uh, just the other day had his trial delayed until after the election uh, on corruption charges. Uh, But State Senator Malcolm Smith and State Senator John Sampson, you know both of them, I know both of them, uh, they're running for re-election despite having this ethical cloud over their heads. What do you think is going to happen there? 
I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, I, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, we look at um, John Sampson and we look at Del Smitherin who's running against him. And um, Del Smitherin is a really good candidate. Hmm. And he is, seems like a very, very interesting person who could really do some great things. Did you endorse him? Uh, we did. You did? We did, in, we did endorse Del Smitherin. Now, is uh, uh, former Councilman Comrie is running against Malcolm Smith, no? Yes. You endorsed uh, 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 Leroy Comrie, did you? Uh, yes, we did. You did. Okay. I- I'm just checking now. Who yep. did you endorse in the Capel-Klein race? Uh, we endorsed Capel. You endorsed Capel. Okay. Very. And, and Rivera Cabrera? <laughs> Sounds like a uh, We did not endorse the race because they did not come before us. We only endorsed those that come to seek our endorsement. Oh, yeah. And, and that's a tradition that, you, you know, your dad and, and, you know, the Amsterdam has a long tradition that you don't come and talk. There's no reason for anybody to endorse anybody. <laughs> right. And a lot of people say, well, you didn't invite us. Well, that's not true because we put an ad on the front page of the newspaper for several weeks prior to our endorsement that say, if you are qualified to run, please call this number. We will be holding our endorsement meetings on XYZ date um, and make your appointment. Hmm. And if your folks aren't reading the paper, if you're not reading the paper and you don't know about it, the only person's fault it is is yours. Because you can't say we didn't invite you. We invite everybody. Interesting. Who else didn't show? Who else didn't show? Oh, my gosh. It was so long ago. I mean, we saw about 35 candidates that day. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, in all different, uh, for all different races. Um, but uh, Teach Out was one that did not show. Really? Okay, so you couldn't endorse her. Did, did the governor show? The, uh, the governor did talk to us. Okay. And, um, you know, though there's a lot more that he needs to do um, and we want him to do, um, he has done many things. I mean, people really want to see him with a more progressive agenda. Um, he hasn't gotten there yet, but I think if we push him, hopefully he will get there. I, I, I'm kind of surprised, given the longstanding reputation of the Amsterdam News, that Zephyr Teachout wouldn't have made you all first on our list. I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you, but, I mean, uh, you reach an important constituency. I can't imagine why she wouldn't show up. Maybe no one was reading the paper. Well, that's their problem, ain't it? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. And what about this guy, uh, Wu? Uh, you know, uh, our good friend, former Governor David Patterson, went off on him the other day. Yeah, you know, I don't know that much about Wu. He did not come in to talk to us. So, again, he wasn't endorsed. But Hochul uh, didn't come either. So we did not endorse the lieutenant governor. Really? Well, I, I can't understand what these people are thinking. You know, uh, and, well, you and, know, a lot of times it's just someone's not paying attention. Yeah, but then you got enough people that do pay attention so that you're jammed up when you do have the, you know, the, the, the endorsement interviews. So somebody's paying attention. Yeah. That's just, it's just, I, I find that to be Eleanor, <laughs> very, very, very bizarre. So do you have a lead pipe cinch? race that you want to talk, want to share with our audience? Is there somebody you want to go out on a limb and say, I believe this person is going to win? Um, let me think. Well, I think there are going to be a lot of close races out there. Really? Um, but I'd say in the 79th, my bet is with Michael Blake. 
Really? Yeah. Michael Blake is going to win that one, huh? Yep. And what about Comrie Smith? Too close to call? I think it's too close to call, but, you know, uh, I'm, I'm rooting for Comrie. You're rooting for Comrie. And how about uh, Smith and uh, Sampson? Again, you know, it's anyone's guess, but, you know, Dale Smitherin, Dale Smitherin is, uh, I think, a formal candidate, and I hope he does really, really well. Okay. Eleanor Tatum, as always, it's a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll talk to you again in the future, huh? All righty. Take care. All right. You take care. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Eleanor Tatum, the publisher of the New York Amsterdam News. Our number, <clears throat> call-in number, that is 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. Do you agree with what Eleanor Tatum just said, that uh, Governor Cuomo may not have done an everything, but he had done enough to warrant uh, you know, your backing? I'm curious. Oh, okay. All right. So we got Michael S.W. Is Michael S.W. on the line? What up, Mark? How you doing, buddy? Okay, buddy. Uh, I had called for another purpose. I know you were still speaking about um, Eleanor Tatum, who is a very wonderful woman, by the way. Oh, yeah. Very credible. No, but I mean, I'm just talking about the primaries in general. Generally speaking, Michael, you know, people don't really turn out in these primaries, even though there's a lot of pretty intense races that are going on out here. I know that. I know that. But the problem here is that people need to pay attention to what's going on around them and take every single election seriously. Don't just come out for the big presidential elections. Don't just come out for the big mayoral elections. You got the city council. You got the um, Congress coming up. You even have um, election of judges. You yeah. should be taking every single election seriously because what's one of the issues that always comes up, and this is why I was calling you about, Mark, the death penalty. You aware that two cases were recently overturned? I was getting well, to that story actually later on in the broadcast. A guy was on death row for 30 years. 30 uh-huh. years. And mm-hmm. they just overturned it for, because of DNA evidence, which, by the way, Michael, is one really good reason to abolish the death penalty because mistakes are made. That's exactly where I was going, Mark, because it's not just mistakes that are made. There's some people that willfully lie just to get a conviction, just to get victory, or if there's that much prejudice and racist just to uh, wipe out the African-Americans, so to speak. But then these Bible-thumping people, and I'm Catholic. I told you before, I'm Mm -hmm. Catholic, and I'm totally against the death penalty. I cannot believe the people that want to misuse the Bible in supporting the death penalty. They want to say an eye for an eye. Yeah, there's a biblical quote in the Old Testament that says an eye for an eye. I challenge people, show me where it says in the Bible that, that a life for a life. And even if you go into the New Testament, Jesus himself denounced it when he interceded and blocked the stoning of an adulterous woman, saying, let the one without sin cast the first stone. He spoke so many times of, do not take revenge against your brother or sister. Well, you know, know, I'm glad you brought up... uh, They weren't calling themselves devout Christians. 
Now, I, I'm glad you brought up the subject of these two. Uh, they're half-brothers, actually. Henry Lee McCullum and Leon Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was 19 back in 1983. One was 15 back in 1983. The 15-year-old, Leon Brown, was serving a life sentence. Henry Lee right. McCullum had spent three decades, 30 years, on death row. That's a generation, Michael. It's a but generation. But you know something? Thank God that those um, convictions and sentences were overturned, but people got to understand and better get through their thick skulls that you just mentioned 30 years behind bars. That's 30 years lost of their lives. Well, not just 30 years. But see, cannot, it's one huh? thing to be 30 years behind bars. It's something else to do 30 years on death row, waiting to die for 30 years. But, Mark, I'm saying it's another thing to be doing 30 years in prison for something that you never did, that you've been absolutely innocent of, and you just lost 30 years of your livelihood. Has anybody ever thought about that? Well, there's no way that you can compensate anybody for spending that much time in prison. Now, my guess is that they will get some good lawyers and that they're going to sue. But I got to tell you, there's something about this story, Michael, if you if you look at it carefully, mm-hmm. that has a very eerie similarity to the Central Park Five case, which happened six years later. Absolutely. Right? Now, there was no physical evidence to tie either one of these men to the killing of a, a, a child named Sabrina Bowie, who had been raped and suffocated. Mm-hmm. No evidence. But somebody cast suspicion on McCullum. After five hours of questioning, no lawyer present, and with his mother in the hallway not allowed to see him, he told a story about he how he and three other young people attacked and killed a girl. He said in a recent interview, quote, I had never been under this much pressure with a person hollering at me and threatening me. I just made up a story and gave it to them so they would let me go home. How many wow. times do you hear stories about people who confess to crimes, because, especially kids, all right, confess to crimes because they're being told, in, in between being hollered at, but they're told, all right, well, you know, just tell me what happened and you can go home. And yeah, at, at, at this point, home was death row for 30 years. Absolutely, you see? absolutely, and and the thing is, you just um, you just point out something very significant, and that is, if such mistakes, to use that in a very small sense, to the even to the highest point of willful misconduct and obstruction of justice, if people can recognize that and see how many people are getting out, finally getting freed. Um, after spending so much time in prison for a crime they never committed. These are actual innocent people. Shouldn't people get it through their thick skulls that got to abolish the death penalty because you know full well that there have been innocent people that have been executed, and there's no way turning that back either. Well, you're right. Michael, thanks a lot for calling, man. Much appreciated. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Uh, too, this is an outrageous case, an outrageous case. Uh, and, and by the way, this had gotten as far as the Supreme Court. 
Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, when they were first tried, both of these men were sentenced to die. New trials were ordered by the state Supreme Court. McCollum was again sentenced to death. Brown was only convicted of rape and his sentence was reduced to life. As recently as 2010, four years ago, the North Carolina Republican Party put McCollum's booking photograph on campaign flyers accusing a Democrat of being soft on crime. Uh, in 1994, the U.S. Supreme Court, highest court in the land, turned down a request for a review of the case. But as it turns out, DNA evidence pointed to someone else. And again, similar to the Central Park Five, except in this case, the poor, ch- the poor young lady died, an 11-year-old girl. But I believe that what District Attorney Ken Thompson is doing in Brooklyn, which is reviewing cases with an eye toward making sure that justice is served, that ought to go on all through this country, especially, especially in certain parts of this country where justice seems to be the last thing on some people's minds. And when I say some people, I'm talking about prosecutors and judges. You know, they get handed what they think is a meatball case. No physical evidence. Again, similar to the Central Park Five. And boom, 30 years, 30 on death row. Who pays him for that? Who pays both of these guys for that? Henry Lee McCollum, Leon Brown. Henry Lee McCollum's now 50, uh, 50 years old. Leroy McCollum, I'm sorry, Leon Brown, 46 They were 19 and 15 when this happened. They have spent 30 Christmases away from their families. 30 New Year's in the joint. 30 Thanksgivings eating prison turkey. If they got prison turkey on death row. This needs to change. Now, I'll tell you something else that needs to change. I'm going to get back to Andrew Cuomo because I ain't finished with him yet either. (laughs) Only kidding. Actually, I'm not. But uh, there was a piece in the Daily News. Exclusive. 90 city schools failed to pass a single black or Hispanic student on state tests. Now, this is according to an analysis by Families for Excellent Schools. Now, Families for Excellent Schools is a pro-charter group. So you know going in that their solution, assuming that their numbers can be documented and are true, their solution here is to open up more charter schools. And these kinds of numbers, and by the way, these are, are, are situations in a very diverse group of schools, including in Bell Harbor, Queens, where... Non-black kids, non-Latino kids did quite well. And in fact, black and Latino kids improved on state tests. It's just whites and Asians improved faster. Here are the numbers. Citywide, 18.5% of black students, 23.2% of Latino students proficient on state math exams. The overall proficiency rate, 342 which by the way, isn't anything 
or Martin, should I say it? Ain't nothing to write home about. Absolutely. One out of three is proficient on these tests. Now, that's indicative of one of two things. Number one, these kids are not being taught the material they need to pass the tests. Or the tests are whack. (laughs) One or the other. I'm not sure which. But we should, there's no way in the world people should be prepared to tolerate the idea that in 90 schools, not 9, not 19, 90, that kids can't pass a, a, a basic math test. Unless it's like advanced trig and they're in the 8th grade or something. I don't understand. And, and by the way, I mean, the people that did this analysis and gave it to the Daily News, they got skin in the game. So we have to say that right off the top. But if these numbers are true, then people should be out in the street. Now, I, I'm not saying that you get out in the street and you, you know, protest teachers or you protest this one or that one or the other willy-nilly. I'm just saying if... 18.5% of black kids are proficient on state math exams this year. Then black parents of students in this system need to say something. All right, so you don't go out and demonstrate like when Eric Garner got killed. But say something. Like, yo, this isn't good enough. 23.2% Latino kids. Say something. It's not good enough. These numbers, see, these numbers, as far as I'm concerned, they should be like 75, 80%. If a kid took a test and got an 18 on it, <laughs> yo, Martin, they'd make him repeat the grade. i tell you that right now. Kid gets a 23 on a test, that's a big F. <laughs> it's as simple as that. But it's like, And I say that knowing good and well that these families for excellence, they only got one solution. And I'm not sure I agree with their solution, which is put them all in charters. Break the union. Again, I'm not down with that. But, I mean, this? Something's wrong. And, and, and something needs to be said, because if you consider yourself to be a progressive person, where do you think that like, what, almost 80 percent, more than 80 percent, 82 percent, 81 and a half, let me be accurate, of these kids that aren't perfect, where do you think they're going to end up? Where do you think, what kind of job, what kind of career are they going to have? When they get out of high school, if they can't do math enough to pass. I don't know what the reading scores are. All right. But I do know the low wage jobs that they will channel these kids into. All right. Where all you got to do is like press a button. You don't have to add anything on a cash register anymore. Just press the symbol that says burger. (laughs) And that's it. Okay. I mean, I hate to be cold about these things. I'm an old man. I got me a decent education, I think. (laughs) I did okay. 
Wasn't the greatest student in the world, but I was taught properly. Because I grew up in a place where if they were going to miseducate or undereducate me, they'd have had to undereducate all the rest of them. And they weren't black. <laughs> so they had, they had no choice. You understand? Uh, the United <clears throat> excuse me, the United States has now verified that the video footage of journalist Stephen Sotloff was authentic and that he was, in fact, beheaded by ISIS. Uh, you know, I'm not a vengeful person. I'm really not. I try not to be. All right. But this is time to call out SEAL Team 6 through 10, if that's what you need. I don't know how many of them they got. But they need to call them out. Now, they did apparently, I, I was reading a, a piece in a, a UK journal. Apparently, they tried to free all of these cats at one time unsuccessfully. So they tried. Well, they got to succeed. They've got to succeed. And, you know, uh, our, our press here is like, kill them all, let God sort them out, or Allah, or whoever they worship. And I understand that impulse. I'm not quite that. How best to put this, Martin? I'm not quite that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. How about that? Because I consider what they did to be acts of barbarism. Barbarism. Don't cut nobody's head off. For what? Because you don't like that Obama's doing airstrikes? So you're going to kill somebody you have in there? Like Obama's going to throw, and I said this the other week, Obama's going to throw up his hand and say, oh, okay, well, ISIS, y'all don't want us to bomb. We'll stop. So you just stop killing people. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So far as I'm concerned, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, you know, call SEAL Team 6 and let them blow everything in the Middle East up until they find out who did this and, and then blow them up. But there are times, you know, you kind of get that feeling. Like, yo, this, I'm getting sick of this already. That's all. I'm sick of it. Not one other human being should be beheaded by some butthead. How about that? You know, and, and they're talking about coming here. Now, the Brits, the Brits are, are, the, the Brits are taking some very serious steps about this, you know. Brits are yanking passports and telling people they can't even set foot in the U.K., you know. They come from Syria, Iraq. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> Go back. I don't know. That sounds a little draconian. Sounds a little draconian, right? For the good old USA. But we got to do something to protect ourselves here. And we got to do something to protect Americans. Now, I understand journalists like to go to places that are dangerous sometimes. I understand that. And, and, and you know, with that impulse comes the possibility something bad's going to happen to you. But this, this is barbaric. It is as simple as that. Barbaric. Period. End. Now, last week we talked to our good friend Nia Malika Henderson from the Washington Post about the fact that, uh, well, wait a minute. Before I get into that, uh, Andrew Cuomo, governor, State of New York. Now, 
when I was on terrestrial radio, when he got elected, I said to people back then that having a Republican-controlled state Senate would not be the worst thing that ever happened to him because he could then find enough common cause with them, with the Republicans, to push a fiscally conservative agenda while, on the other hand, pressing forward with a progressive agenda on other issues. And I asked people about this. I asked some folks up in Albany, well, you know, it's, it's possible, it's possible. Now there's a story that says that's exactly what Andrew Cuomo did and that he actually encouraged the formation of the Independent Democratic Conference, the IDC, which is now reportedly caucusing with the Democrats again. You know, it's like ping pong and whatnot. But this was supposed to be, you know, like a glide thing for Andrew Cuomo. He wasn't supposed to have any trouble. Certainly, I mean, he still got like a, a, what, 20-odd point margin in the general. But, I mean, the primary wasn't even supposed to be an issue. Nobody thought anybody was going to run anybody against him. The Working Families Party actually managed to... Uh, I don't want to, how best to put this, Martin, Gorilla, the governor, <laughs> into supporting uh, the IDC going back to the Democrats. Otherwise, they said they wouldn't support him. All right. And they held out as an alternative a Fordham professor by the name of Zephyr Teachout. Zephyr Teachout. And when the Working Families Party decided to back Governor Cuomo because he said he would, you know, make good on his promise to unite the IDC and the Democratic Conference in the Senate. I know this is arcane and inside baseball and all that, but you all need to know this. Zephyr Teachout said, well, later for the Working Families Party, I'm going to run against him as a Democrat. And then she found a guy named Timothy Wu, who's running against his hand-picked choice for lieutenant governor, Kathy Hochul. Uh, Kathy Hochul represents a relatively conservative district. She's a Democrat, but she represents a relatively conservative district upstate. And some of her positions infuriate conservatives. I'm sorry, infuriate progressives. Tim Wu got the endorsement of the New York Times. Zephyr Teachout didn't get that endorsement, but she did get the endorsement of former public advocate Mark Green. Now, nobody in their right mind, least of all me, and many people argue that I'm not in my right mind, but nobody in their right mind thinks that Zephyr Teachout is going to beat Andrew Cuomo. Nobody thinks that. But in a low turnout election, if she manages to energize enough voters... She might get 20, 25%. That is substantial for a guy who thinks he's got a shot at being president somewhere further down the road. You're supposed to squash Zephyr Teachout like a grape. You're supposed to be an anvil on an ant. And that may not happen. I mean, it may happen with Astorino, the Republican guy, who really just doesn't seem to be able to get... You know, have you ever... (laughs) There was, a, there was a, a news uh, a news thing one time. I forgot where I, I must have been in Baltimore for some reason. 
And it, there was this big snow and ice storm, right? And there was this gigantic garbage truck that was trying to get up this hill. And it got like three quarters of the way up the hill. And suddenly it started fishtailing and slid all the way back down the hill and smashed into a bunch of cars. All right. That, to me, is metaphor for Rob Astorino's candidacy for governor. He's trying. He's trying to make some points of departure. But he may get hammered worse than uh, the last guy that ran, who, was, who, as far as I was concerned, was a complete lunatic. Uh, made Sarah Palin look like the voice of reason. Five minutes. Okay. Uh, so Andrew Cuomo... Uh, may end up, and, and see, this is where, and I can say this because this is Progressive Radio Network, right? This is where a particular style of governance does not suit an incumbent politician well. Andrew Cuomo has played both ends against the middle. He's tried to be the fiscal conservative, the hardhead. And by the way, like real secretive and, you know, not sharing a great deal of information with people. And now it's come back to bite him in his butt because he's got people around him who kind of go out and whisper at people. Or in some cases, if you believe some of the folks on the Moreland Commission, shout at people. And it doesn't suit him as well as it could. So next Tuesday is the is election day. It's Wednesday tonight, right, Martin? So if I sell if I tell people to go out and vote tonight, ain't nobody gonna listen to that. <laughs> They're not. They're just not. Let's be realistic, all right? I'm a realist in my old age. They're not gonna go out and Mark Riley said I should go out and vote next week. They're not gonna do it. They should, but they're not. I would say to people. In a low turnout election, your vote counts twice as much as it would in a high turnout election. That should be reason enough. You should be able to go to the polls and walk out of there with your chest all poked out. And, Yo, I voted. Yeah. Yeah, boy. I voted. Not many people do. But see, here's the thing. And I, uh, this is something that happened to me a long, 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 long time ago. I was living up in Washington Heights, right? And I went to vote. I forgot what election it was for, but I went to vote for an election. I think it was maybe mayor or whatever. And at my polling station were about three classes of Jewish kids from a nearby yeshiva school or, or Jewish school. And their teachers were showing them firsthand what voting was about. They had the poll workers walk them in. Our kids could barely see up on top, you know, in, in the voting booth to see what was there. But they walked them in there and they showed them. And these are on them old ancient machines that I think they may have put out the pasture by now, but maybe not. And those kids who are now, by the way, well old enough to vote, they learned about voting when they were barely tall enough they may have been first second grade kids but you know what if they still live in new york i bet you they remember and i bet you they vote all right now we got a couple minutes left and our last segment is called to the ridiculous 
Martin, have you heard about these stories where people on airlines uh, get upset when somebody in front of them reclines their seat? And it's it, it's gotten butt ugly in several No, cases. I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> it's happened asked. three times. Okay. The latest, a flight from LaGuardia to Palm Beach. That's in Florida. It was forced to make an unexpected landing after an argument over leg room. Delta Airlines Flight 2370 was officially diverted to Jacksonville due to safety reasons in regard to a passenger issue. Uh, guy that was on the plane said that the squabble started the minute the woman seated next to him tried to recline her seat. The woman who was sitting next to me knitting actually tried reclining her seat back, and the woman behind her started screaming and swearing. <laughs> and, you know, they have these devices now, which are prohibited on most airlines that actually allow you to keep someone from reclining their seat. Physically, it makes it physically unable to push your seat back. Now, as it turned out, uh, the, the woman who was screaming and swearing was sleeping on her tray table. <laughs> yes, such a delicate soul. Uh, so the argument got bad enough, somebody called a flight attendant. Uh, and uh, the flight attendant came over, and that just exacerbated what was going on, and she demanded, this is the woman who was cursing and screaming, that the flight land. She says, I don't care about the consequences. Put this plane down now. So they diverted the plane. Now, that's not the most ridiculous part of this. The woman wasn't even charged. Not even charged. Now, if it was me, <laughs> let me tell you something. She'd have needed, a, if, if, if some passengers on some planes, she would have needed a police escort to get off the plane. I'm going to Palm Beach and you divert my flight to Jacksonville over what? <laughs> really? Seriously? Uh, The flight didn't get to West Palm Beach until after 11 p.m. It was the third flight diversion in the past week. Three. Count them. Three. And all three over seatbacks and reclining. Were there, all, were there women involved in all three of them or no? No. Oh. There were not all women involved. Oh, okay. Come on, man. Don't be a sexist. No, I was just asking. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say, man? No, not even. No. W women are prone to go off over over seatbacks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's cold blooded. My thanks to Martin. Uh, you can reach him here at the Progressive Radio Network with your comments. Time for me to get out of here. I'll be back next week, 6 p.m. God willing, and the creek don't rise. This has been the Mark Riley Show on the Progressive Radio Network, PRN.FM. Have a great one.